You know, the choir did a really good job with it as well. But it's almost a crime to that not be a congregational song. You know, I, it's, uh, I sat there and sang it with them because I love that hymn, that great hymn. And I sat there and picture Horatio Spafford crossing the Atlantic, coming to that point where his children all died in that shipwreck. And he pins those words as he passes over the very spot where they died. It just is an amazing, amazing testimony to the grace and the power of God. I do appreciate, though, that all the songs this morning have pointed to Jesus. They've talked about Christ and His glory and who He is. And talked about His name being above all names and in Christ alone. Because that is what Hebrews wants us to see above everything else. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. And we will be in two verses that we were in last week. We looked at the first three verses last week. We're going to go back and look at verses 1 and 2 again this week. Uh, because there's just so much there, I want us to try and, and get a grasp of what the writer of this great book is talking about. Now remember, he's going to go through this thing, and he's going to tell us, and we'll look at next week, the importance of Jesus is greater than the angels. He's better than the angels. He's better than the temple worship. He's better than the sacrificial system. He's a greater sacrifice. He's going to lay out all of those things about how Christ is superior to everything. Matter of fact, that's the title of the series, Christ Above All. Because the focus of this book is how Christ has worked that full and, and final revelation of God in himself. How he has brought that full and final revelation. He is the, the, the great prophet of God's truth, proclaiming God's truth in its completeness. Now, I realize that perhaps last week I used the word carelessly, if you will. Uh, and and I, I honestly did not mean to use it. Didn't know I did. I, I referred to Jesus as the last prophet. And in, in real sense, there were New Testament prophets in the, in the New Testament who foretold the truth of God. I was using that word in a strictly theological sense. That doesn't mean anything to you, does it? But uh, in the sense of him being the final word of God, the final word about God, the final word of God's revelation. And as we'll see this morning, he, he gave to the apostles a different ministry than prophet. The apostles are not prophets. They are the apostles of the new covenant. They are the apostles of those, of those things that Jesus came to reveal. And Jesus taught them specifically and told them that the Holy Spirit would come and reveal to them everything about him, even things he didn't say, even things that, that he didn't specifically or we don't have specifically recorded that the Holy Spirit would make that clear to them. And they would record that. And when the scripture is closed, we have the complete and total revelation of God in Christ and in his written word that reflects and points to and leads us to Jesus Christ in every way. The danger that we face today is that there are many people who claim to be prophets of God or prophets in general. You'll find some who are sitting out on the side of the road reading tarot cards and 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 reading palms, and they will say, we are a prophetic uh, service. We can tell you what is going to happen. And folks, there are many Christians who go running to those people thinking they can give them some indication about the future. I was listening. I, I have XM radio in my car, and I, I'm always amazed at some of the commercials that come on uh, on XM radio on uh, between uh, shows, especially on, when you're listening to a news channel like Fox or 
or something on the radio, and they'll, they don't show you, the, they don't give you the TV commercials, they have their own commercials, and there's one that's coming on almost every other time now about a psychic hotline. And all you've got to do is call, it's 10 minutes, so I think it's about $30 for 10 minutes, but in that 10 minutes, they will tell you everything you want to know. You want to know if your husband's being faithful to you, they'll tell you. You want to know if, if this is the right person to marry or not? They'll tell you. They want to know whether you ought to go into this particular line of business or study this particular subject in school? They'll tell you what you need to do. They'll tell you what will be best for you in the outcome. And there's this prophetic idea that is out there that has nothing to do with God, nothing to do with Jesus Christ, but many people in our culture, and, and sadly many Christians, are falling for it. Uh, I know Christians who say they wouldn't, get out of the house in the morning without reading their horoscope uh, because that's going to tell them how the day is going to go. And that, most of them will laugh and say, I don't, don't really believe it, but I find it entertaining. But if they're honest with themselves, they find themselves throughout the day thinking, how does this relate to what I read this morning? Is this fulfilling what the prophecy was in my horoscope this morning? And, and our culture can believe that the stars and the moon and everything else can control our destiny, but they certainly are not going to believe in a God who will control our destiny. They're not going to believe in a God or a Jesus, a Christ, a Lord, who can control the very matters of all of life from his very throne in heaven. I mean, give me the stars to control my destiny. Don't give me Jesus. But like Todd mentioned in that great hymn, it is well. We, we, we know, we know that he holds our destiny in his hands. And we rejoice in that. Even though we may not understand it, even though it may be very difficult to, to comprehend sometimes why it's going the way it's going, we know because his promise is that I have you in my hand and I'm protecting you if you belong to me. Now, in this book, Jesus is presented as the one who is above all things. He told his disciples, as I mentioned earlier, his apostles in John 14 and John 16, that the Holy Spirit would come to guide them into all truth, all truth related to him. And Jesus keeps his promises. The, the Holy Spirit came to help them to understand as apostles of the new covenant what you and I need to know pertaining to life and, and pertaining to salvation and pertaining to our relationship with God. And Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and the Father sent the Holy Spirit that we might have that understanding through the apostles first and now that the Holy Spirit might work in our life to give us understanding of Jesus and the Word as it goes. But that's not revelation. That's not new revelation. Some people will look in the scripture and, and they'll say sometimes, oh, man, I just had this great revelation about what is written here. Well, you don't really have a revelation about that. You have an enlightenment about that. That's the real ministry of the Holy Spirit today taking us to the Word and opening our eyes and enlightening our minds to be able to see what the Spirit of God is saying. Revelation has closed with the closing of the canon, the closing of scripture in revealing who Christ is. There is no new revelation. And in one sense, Jesus closed the revelation in himself. And the apostles merely just referred back and interpreted and told us. I mean, if we had the Gospels and only had the Gospels, we would understand a lot about Jesus. We'd understand a lot about his ministry. But a, a lot of the focus we would place to be on his earthly ministry. The apostles come along, and especially the, the apostle Paul, the apostle who says he was as one born out of time, 
but who saw the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus and then went into the deserts of Arabia and there we believe that he was taught by Christ for three years before he ever taught, began his ministry, taught directly by the Lord Jesus Christ by the direct ministry to interpret who he was. We're told by the apostles more than just what he did on earth. We're told about his cosmic ministry. We're told about his ministry that was uniting his people with God who was calling his people out of the world and into a relationship with the living God and that being the most important thing that the scripture ever reveals to us. And unless we grasp that in Christ we will fail to understand fully the beauty and the glory of who he is, what he's done and what he is doing. Listen to these two verses again. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. God, the great revealer, the creator, everything there is, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets by many, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken. There's a finality in that. He has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And then he goes on in three and he describes the characteristics that we looked at last week about this glorious Christ. Radiance of the glory of God. Exact representation of the nature of God. He upholds, he sustains all things by his word, the word of his power. When he made purification, that is when the, the atonement was made on the cross, he made purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. His job was finished and completed in that very moment. But what the writer here wants us to understand in those first two verses is the magnitude of this revelation that has been made in the last days. How he has spoken in the past. And, and he, he emphasized he spoke long ago in the past to the fathers, to those who were the leaders of the, the temple, those who were the leaders of the tabernacle ministry, those who were the, the leaders of the nation of Israel. When Israel was, was viewed as just a concise, very uh, encompassing group that were called the people of God. Now we understand if we read the Old Testament clearly that they never were intended to be just a unit that says it's us and God. We're God's chosen people and we're all that there is. They were to be a missionary people. They were to be an evangelistic people. They were to take the message of Yahweh, the true and the living God, to all the nations. But they didn't do it. They just held on to it. But in that little nation, least among the nations, not a great nation, not a powerful nation, not one that, that you would expect God to look down and say, well, I can really use them because they're really powerful. He chose the weakest and the smallest among all the nations to show his glory and to reveal himself through the prophets. The prophets came. They spoke the word. But you know, every prophet that claimed to be a prophet was not a prophet, not a true prophet. That's why I wanted... Todd to read from that passage in Jeremiah earlier because God through Jeremiah just slams a, a very large segment of the quote prophets of Jeremiah's day. God says let them dream their dreams and let them have their visions but let those who have my word speak my word with clarity. That's a good word for us today. We are called not to come up with new ideas. We're called not to come up with something and say, oh, well, God told me to say this, or God told me this is what's real. When it contradicts God's word, it is a lie. 
And anybody you see on television or you hear speaking, even if they speak in this pulpit, let me tell you something. If they say, I'm telling you something that God has told me and God has revealed to me and God has made known to me that is contrary to or apart from God's revelation in Jesus Christ in his word, I want you to know they would be considered a false prophet. Because God has given us everything we need. I love how Peter said it in 2 Peter 1.3. He said that in the scripture and in Jesus Christ, we have been granted everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Do you see that the emphasis there that God has given us in Christ and in his word everything we need for godliness and for life? For living as God has called us. He's given us everything we need. There's nothing to be added. There's nothing that needs to be put in its place. He's given us everything. And he's done this through the true knowledge of him. One of the things that we have to understand is that the purpose of this book is to bring us into an intimate knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.10, he said, you know, and this is 20 years after his conversion, at least 20 years after his conversion, when he's writing Philippians, when he's met Christ, when he knows Christ. But yet he writes these words, he says, that I may know him, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Paul is saying there that my greatest desire, my greatest passion in life is to know him better, to have this true knowledge of him in this relationship through his revealed truth, through his word, by his resurrection in his grace that's to be our passion folks that's to be our desire that's to be the most important thing in your life or in my life more important than school more important than work more important than than earthly relationships because unless that relationship is right all of those others will always have some kind of glitch and some kind of problem in them this reason in the grace notes this week I quoted D. Martin Lloyd-Jones one of my favorite preachers of the last century. Dr. Lloyd-Jones died and went to be with the Lord in 1981. But he was a voluminous, his sermons were, you know, he would take, now in preaching Hebrews, he would probably have spent the entire first three sermons on God. He just stopped at that first word. Preached three sermons on it, and then he would come back, and he would have said, after he spoke, and he spent two or three sermons on that. And then, I'm not quite that verbose in my preaching, but, but he always had insight and illumination of Scripture that was just glorious. And Lord Jones said this. He said, our supreme need, our only need, is to know God, the living God, and the power of his might. We need nothing else. It is just that, the power of the living God, to know that the living God is among us and that nothing else matters. I say, forget everything else. Forget everything else. We need to realize the presence of the living God among us. Let everything else be silent. There is no time for minor differences. We all need to know the touch of the power of the living God. And that comes through knowing Christ. That comes through knowing his word. That comes through experiencing the reality of this revelation as taken and applied to our lives daily by the Holy Spirit. 
Peter went on to say, or said in his earlier letter in, in 1 Peter 1, 22-25, he said that this word, this revelation of Christ that we have brought in this manner through him will also purify our souls. It will purify our souls in obedience to the truth which is the incorruptible seed, that is the word of God that lives and abides in us forever, which Peter says was and is preached to you. I mean, this is how the revelation of God taken by the Holy Spirit makes a difference in our life. The Holy Spirit takes his revelation and he applies it. He plants it like a seed within us and it abides and it lives forever within us and we hear it preached. And, and, and preaching is the primary way that God communicates his truth. Uh, he uses some pretty poor so, some pretty poor instruments sometimes. It's not in the preacher. It's not in the one preaching the message. It's in the message that's preached. You know, I, I, I want us to understand that it's what God has said in his word that matters. It is the seed that takes root in our life and changes our life and abides with us forever. That's the revelation that Jesus brought in these last days as he spoke to us in his Son. Paul said that God has, has shown us by the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 2 the wisdom of God, the hidden wisdom, the things of God, and literally the mind of Christ. Paul said to the Philippian Christians, he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That while he considered him, while he, he did not consider him that being one with God was something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and came to minister on the cross to you and me. He came to be our sacrifice and our substitute. He came to be our Savior. Paul says, let this mind, he said to the Corinthians, he said to the Philippians, let this mind, the mind of Christ, be something. That, that dwells richly within you. How do we get the mind of Christ? How do we know the mind of Christ? Well, we know what he spoke to us. We know what has been revealed to us in the word. And as we take that word and saturate ourselves with that word, as we start letting that word take hold of us like that seed within us, then the mind of Christ becomes more a part of our life. Well, we have the mind of Christ if we're in him. But that has to be fed, that has to be nurtured, that has to be developed, if you will, by an understanding of his true word, an understanding of the revelation that God has given us, this glorious revelation. And we have to see it in the Old Testament and see it in the New Testament. We know that, that Paul and Hebrews and, and, and John all point back to the Christ and to his ministry and interpret that for us. But we have to understand that the Old Testament also is given to us that we might see ahead that we might look to that which is to come. He, he said he spoke in many portions and in many different ways, and, and God did do that in the Old Testament. But he always spoke with an incompleteness. Not with an imperfection, but with an incompleteness. You know, we, we sometimes get troubled by the idea of, of a progressive revelation in Scripture, but there is a progressive revelation. There, there's not a process revelation. Uh, so process theology says that God kind of develops as you see him go along and he changes and becomes more like who he is. That's not what we believe. But as far as a progressive revelation, absolutely. 
I mean, in the Garden of Eden, when, when God said to Satan that, that you will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head, that is the, 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 the word of the gospel in a very, very simple form. I, I doubt if that's all you had, we would understand exactly what the gospel message is. You will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. And he's talking about the cross, thousands of years before the cross. And then the prophets gave a little more, and then the prophets... Uh, got a little more understanding as God worked and the people understood more of God but every one of those is pointing to Jesus Christ every sacrifice is pointing to Jesus Christ every feast is pointing to Jesus Christ everything that was done through the prophets in many ways in diverse ways was pointing to the coming of Christ for when you read the Old Testament you ought to read the Old Testament with an eye to Christ You'll say, what is this teaching me about Jesus Christ? What is this teaching me about the one who is yet to come? I liked what my systematic theology professor in, in seminary back in the 70s at Southwestern Seminary, Dr. Boyd Hunt, when he talked about this idea of, of progressive revelation, growing revelation. He said it's not progressive in the sense of from error to truth. It's always been truth. It's always been perfect truth. Just not complete truth. But it's not, it's not a progression from error to truth. But it's a progression from bud to bloom. Talking about a rose. You know, I, we don't have any roses here today. We should have roses, Rosemary. Sorry, yeah. Uh, should have called and asked you for roses. But you know, a, a, a rose bud is, is pretty. A rose bud is, is sometimes in, in arrangements, and it, it's closed, and it's kind of tight. And you look at it, and you say, well, that's kind of nice. But it's not at all as beautiful as the blossom is. When the rosebud bursts open and, and comes to full bloom, and there you have the beautiful rose. Well, that's what's happening in the Old Testament moving toward Christ. It's not untrue. It's not growing in understanding as far as God goes, but it's growing in his revelation of him until he finally brings it forth, and Jesus Christ comes on the scene, and he bursts forth in full bloom. This is what God is like. This is who God is this is his character. This is his glory. This is his radiance. He spoke to us in these last days in his son. He spoke to us in Jesus. He spoke to us in the one who is the pre-incarnate one who has always existed, who created all things and, and who holds all things together. He has spoken to us in his son. Paul also made clear in Ephesians chapter 3 and related to this revelation by his son that the mystery of Christ, and it was a mystery and still is mysterious in some ways, but the mystery of Christ concerns the salvation of all nations, Jews and Gentiles, which he said is in Christ by the gospel in Ephesians 3. And the mystery is now revealed. It's revealed in Jesus Christ. And it's revealed unto his holy apostles by the Spirit. And so Paul is saying, listen, here's the greatness about this, this grand mystery. It's salvation. It's salvation to all who believe. Not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles also. He talks about tearing down the wall of separation. He talks about how he removes it so that Jew and Gentile are now one in Christ. And there's a new creation of a new people of God 
Call it the church. Call it the, the, the people of God. Call it the body of Christ. Call it the new Israel, as Paul does in Galatians. Call it what you will. But it's a new people of God. And this revelation shows us how the walls are broken down completely. Paul, in writing to young Timothy, in writing in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, he said, I want you to know that as this comes to fruition, as these apostolic truths are applied and written down and, and ultimately canonized in Christ, about Christ, I want you to know that all Scripture, Old Testament, and that which will come is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete thoroughly furnished unto all good works. See, it's in Christ that we learn doctrine. It's in Christ that we learn truth. It's in Christ that we are corrected. It's in Christ that we are reproved. It's in Christ that we receive instruction in righteousness. That we might be complete. That we might be complete in knowing Him. That we might be complete, as Lloyd-Jones says, in recognizing that our supreme need, indeed our only need, is to know God through Jesus Christ. And if you miss that, if you miss that dimension of the revelation that has been spoken in Christ, you miss everything. Because nothing else really matters. Finally, Paul told the Ephesian elders, as he was leaving them in Acts chapter 20, departing, probably never to see them again, he said, I want you to know that everything Christ taught me, I've taught you. I've not held back anything from you because it's all profitable to you. Therefore, I am innocent of the blood of all men. In other words, I, I've, not, I've not just told you what you want to hear. I've not just tried to sugarcoat it and make it seem nice or something. But I have told you the truth of Almighty God. And I have revealed to you, I have declared to you the whole counsel of God. Now what you do with it is between you and God. But I've not left you without a word. You know, that's, that's a word a lot of churches today ought to recognize. A lot of churches today ought to, ought to implement, in my humble opinion. Because we don't many times preach the whole counsel of God. We, we kind of shy away from those parts we don't like. We shy away from those parts that make people uncomfortable. Uh, Al Mohler wrote an article this week on the, uh, the whole concept of hell, how uh, the, the air conditioning of hell, he called it. And uh, he said what we do is we tend to, to back away from things in Scripture that we find uncomfortable in our preaching, in our studies. And we'll, we'll say, well, I don't, I don't know if my people can handle that. So we back away from it. And he says, and I agree with him, that that is the first step toward absolute infidelity to God's word, absolute theological liberalism. So when you start saying, well, I don't really think I can deal with that. That's too tough to understand. That's a, that's a doctrine that's too meaty for my people. So I'll, I'll never declare that. I'll just skip over that. We fin find ourselves in slipping into saying, well, this is important, this is not. This is the word of God. Maybe this isn't. And before you know it, you've compromised the entirety of scriptures. Paul said, I have not shunned from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I, I don't know, but when I die, and, and when I'm laid in a grave somewhere, 
I hope and pray that that, that could be a fitting epitaph on my tomb. I, I hope that when I'm gone from here, that one thing you'll be able to say is, you know, he declared to us the whole counsel of God. He wasn't afraid to deal with tough issues. He wasn't afraid to deal with things that, that might not be popular, even though a lot of people don't want to hear it, as we've discovered in days past, not in present. But that, that the whole counsel of God, the whole truth of God, the entire word of God was declared and was made known in clarity. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, the ultimate of, of prophetic truth, the ultimate of his, resurrect, of, of his revelation. It can't get any better than this. It can't get any more complete than this. Somebody comes to you and says, well, God told me this, and it contradicts what God's word says. You run from them. You treat them like the Apostle Paul said to the Galatian Christians that we looked at a few weeks ago on Sunday night when Paul said, if anyone comes to you declaring another gospel or another Christ, if anyone comes to you, even if I come back or an angel comes and declares to you a gospel different from that which I've declared to you, a different Christ than what I've declared to you, let them be anathema. Let them be cursed because they're lying. God's revelation, God's truth, God's perfection, and God's final revelation is superior to and, and above everything else, and it's wrapped up in Christ and in His revealed Word. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about, well, how do we know these are the real revealed books? And we'll do that in another setting. I mean, there's a lot of internal and external evidence as to why we have these books and why we believe that these are the canon, these are the reed, the measuring rod by which God's truth is understood. But we'll have to talk about that in another day. I think what I want us to be as Grace Baptist Church, what I want you to be as an individual Christian as you go out in the workplace, as you go out in school, as you, as you struggle with issues that are difficult, as you struggle... With, with sin in your own life and in the lives of others as you struggle with not understanding everything I, I think I want us to be and I, I use this quote also in the grace notes this week to close my article uh, any Gladstone statement he said we stand on the impregnable rock of Holy Scripture that's where we must stand that's where we must gain our authority that's where we must seek for truth the impregnable rock of Holy Scripture as it shows us the final revelation of God in Jesus Christ. What a mighty God we serve. What a glorious God we serve. What a mighty Savior leads us and shows us the truth of that God. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. We bow before the Christ of the cross who came not just to teach us, not just to do miracles, not just to wow us, who came to die for us.
Father, he came to redeem a people for you. He came to pay the price of sin and take that sin on himself, on that cross, as a perfect sacrifice. That your people might live. Father, we come this morning in a, in a spirit of gratitude and appreciation. for that revelation. For apart from it, we are struggling. Apart from it, we are confused. Apart from it, we would not have any understanding or any enlightenment at all. But you have told us, and you have declared to us through your word and through your Son all things pertaining to life and godliness. You haven't taught us everything because you're the only one that knows everything. You're the only one that can comprehend everything. But you've told us plenty. And what you've told us is sufficient. For that, oh dear God, we are grateful. Father, burn your truth into our hearts. Teach us, as Lloyd-Jones said, to, to realize and understand that our supreme need, our only need, is to know you. Focus on that. Help me, Lord, do that. So easy to get the things of every day, even ministry, to pulling away from my time alone with you and that time to know you better. Lord, I pray you guard that in my life, in the lives of every person here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.